Welcome to your Active's Digital Brief podcast. My name is Samuel Stolton, and each week I aim to bring you some of the most relevant and timely technology stories in the world of EU politics and policy. In this edition, I take a deep dive into the European Union's next moves in the artificial intelligence space by drawing on recent comments from political officials and catching up with policy experts in the field who have raised concern about the use of biometric surveillance technologies in particular. For a full breakdown of all the most important stories over the past seven days in this patch, sign up to my free newsletter or take a look at it online at youractive.com. This is Youractive's Digital Brief Podcast. This episode is powered by Facebook. Working together is more important than ever in the fight against COVID-19. At Facebook, we're working with nearly 100 governments and organizations globally, including the World Health Organization and European Center for Disease Control, to distribute authoritative COVID-19 information on our platforms. Get the full story at about.fb.com Europe. Talk in Brussels this week has turned to the next steps the EU will take in the field of artificial intelligence. Around the policy conference circuits, all of course currently taking place online, we've been given more of an insight into the next steps the Commission will pursue when it presents a regulatory framework on artificial intelligence in the first quarter of this year. And indeed, the inauguration of new US President Joe Biden hasn't gone unnoticed in this regard either. Speaking at an online event hosted by Forum Europe this week, Kim Jorgensen, head of cabinet of Executive Vice President Margarete Vestager, said that now was the right time for the bloc to pursue a transatlantic accord on artificial intelligence. This is what he had to say. In December last year, the European Commission published a communication, a new EU-US agenda for global change. And one of the key actions points in this agenda is to work together on technology trade and, t- and standard. Specifically on AI, the EU will propose to start work on a transatlantic AI agreement to set a blueprint for regional and global standard aligned with our values. And of course, to have a, a seminar today, uh, just after the inauguration of President Biden yesterday, is of course very timely in that respect. And, and therefore, uh, today events marks a very excellent opportunity to discuss the global opportunities and challenges of this technology. Moreover, Jorgensen also said that the Commission would this year propose new rules on clarifying AI liability and that the EU executive would present a regulatory framework for high-risk artificial intelligence in March this year as a follow-up to the artificial intelligence white paper that, of course, was presented by the Commission in 2020. The outlines introduced by the EU executive last year held back from putting forward strict safeguards against facial recognition technologies after an earlier leaked version of the paper floated the idea of a moratorium on facial recognition software. The Commission instead opted to launch an EU-wide debate on the use of remote biometric identification, of which facial recognition, of course, is a central part. Such a move was met with frustration by civil society groups who had called for more stringent safeguards against certain technologies, including facial recognition tech, employed in public spaces. And questions do still remain in terms of how the Commission will balance the risks associated with the use of such software. And the noises coming out this week from the European Parliament are somewhat hostile to the technology. 
a text led by Identity and Democracy MEP Gilles Le Breton, which was adopted by Parliament on Wednesday, called for the Commission to, and I quote, assess the consequences of a moratorium on the use of facial recognition systems, and, depending on the results of such an assessment, to consider a moratorium on the use of those systems by public authorities in the public space and in premises meant for education and health care, and on the use of facial recognition systems by law enforcement authorities in semi-public places such as airports until the technical standards can be considered fully fundamental rights compliant. Close quote. Earlier this week, Sela Sastamoinen, acting director general for the Commission's DG Just, was keen to highlight how the EU executive believes that current safeguards for the processing of biometric data laid out in the EU's General Data Protection Regulation would, in theory, be sufficient in safeguarding against the unethical use of facial recognition technology. Speaking at an online event held by the Council of Europe, this is what she had to say. As regards to facial recognition, I go back actually what what uh, uh, Michael Flaherty said in the beginning. Already existing legislation applies, including then uh, the, the fundamental rights and the privacy legislation. So we have to also uh, keep that in mind that the EU data protection rules already have the relevance on this area, uh, on the processing of the biometric data for the purpose of the identifying uh, the natural person, so using that type of personal data, except when specific conditions. So if there is already that uh, regulation which in principle uh, uh, prohibits that, well, we take that as a starting point. Uh, so one has to see what is the reason for this uh, kind of identification. So if there is substantial uh, public interest, and that interest is then looked on the EU or national law, and uh, in order to see if that is the, the use is uh, justified. But for their part, members of civil society are not satisfied with this approach. I recently caught up with Ella Jakubowska, who is a campaign officer for EDRI, the European Digital Rights Group. Ella leads EDRI's advocacy on biometric technologies, including facial recognition, and is also behind a new EU citizens initiative, dubbed Reclaim Your Face, which is pushing for a blanket ban on facial recognition tech in the public space. You're part of a campaign called Reclaim Your Face that wants to outlaw the use of biometric surveillance and particularly facial recognition technology. You've recently announced that you're launching a European citizens initiative. Perhaps you can tell us a bit more about your campaign and the support that you've managed to accumulate so far. Absolutely. So Reclaim Your Face is a really broad civil society campaign. with a lot of digital rights organizations, but also increasingly broader human rights and social justice organizations. All of us are invested in prohibiting uh, biometric mass surveillance in Europe and in making sure that people's biometrics, which are by definition really, really sensitive parts of each of our identities really, um, are given proper protections so that our full suite of human rights are protected from all the different impacts that arise when our biometric data are constantly tracked and processed and analyzed and used to manipulate and judge us. We're now at, I think, just over 30 organizations within the campaign and more coming on board every day. Um, We've got 
seven or eight uh, strong national campaigns that are investigating and revealing uh, abusive uses of biometrics. Um, and we've had close to 14,000 citizens take part in the movement so far, and, and we're growing that every day. And just getting into the ins and outs of the Citizens Initiative a bit more, uh, you require one million signatures for uh, the Commission to respond to you. Do you believe that there's scope for you to reach that target? I absolutely do think there is scope. Um, Of course, it's a challenge. Uh, One million signatures is a lot. But this is an issue that touches on, we believe, every person in the EU's life. And so if we do our job as civil society in raising awareness of this topic, how it can impact people's free expression, um, why it's an issue for free media and democracy, then I think we will be able to be successful in, in getting those signatures. And Ella, what really is the key message here? Is it generally the use of facial recognition in public places that you're concerned about? Or is it the deployment of this type of technology for particular purposes? Well, really, what what we've found in the legal analysis that we've done as the European Digital Rights Network is that any use of facial recognition technologies or other kind of biometric technologies, whether that's people's walking patterns, um, people's ear shape, um, whatever it might be that's used to uniquely identify them, if that's done in a public space and therefore by definition is scanning every person that goes by um, or targeting a particular group of people, that's in essence a form of mass surveillance. Uh, So regardless of the purported uh, aim of deploying such a technology, it's firmly a biometric mass surveillance tool um, and therefore it has fundamentally unnecessary and and disproportionate impacts on on people's rights to enjoy those public spaces, exist freely, um, express themselves uh, and have their private lives in whatever space they want to be in. And from your research so far, Ella, what's the state of play in terms of the employment of facial recognition technology in the public space across the EU today? So what we found is really, really concerning because on the one hand, the EU is telling us and member states are telling us that they respect and protect fundamental rights and that that is one of the core values of the EU. But at the same time, we're seeing uh, at least half, um, potentially more European countries, as well as the EU itself through things like its Horizon 2020 and its border programmes, deploying really dystopian technologies that do everything from claiming to be able to tell if migrants are lying in their asylum or migration interviews, um, which we've seen the EU piloting and which has no scientific basis, um, through to the fact that many, many cities and towns across Europe are increasingly having facial recognition cameras deployed on on their streets, in their squares, um, being used against protesters in at least three European countries and potentially more. Um, We've seen the use in schools, in concert venues, um, at train stations, in airports. And the, the trends that we're seeing really prevalently are that this is not being done with proper human rights impact assessments or data protection impact assessments. Uh, There's no transparency. We've seen unlawful procurement from governments. We've seen uh, shady and opaque partnerships between private companies pushing a smart city agenda and governments that are using people's money, using government money on these partnerships that have not been 
vetted for human rights reasons or for human rights concerns. And in our analysis and investigations, we've shown that many of them are actually really strongly in violation of things like the right to privacy, the right to non-discrimination, the right to freedom of expression and and many other rights. And can you reference any examples of these um, kind of case studies where you've seen governments working with private contractors for um, the use of facial recognition technology in ways in which erode fundamental rights? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a really good example from the city of Como in Italy, where the government uh, deployed what they were referring to as kind of innovative video surveillance in an area that had been used by homeless migrants. So um, this was people out of necessity in a humanitarian crisis situation being forced to sleep outside. And the local government deployed these cameras um, to detect loitering in those spaces, which was very clearly meant to target these already marginalized migrants. And this was done in a a partnership with a company that was using Huawei technology. Um, There was no publicly available documentation. Um, Our our network, um, Hermes Center in Italy, and some investigative journalists had to do a lot of digging, had to engage the data protection authorities to try and find out anything about this partnership and and what we're seeing um i think in italy uh, but i would need to check but is um certain kind of p- private partnerships that are being developed uh, are being given as freebies to governments so that governments have uh, a way around disclosing these potentially incredibly harmful surveillance contracts with companies that we've seen around the world are already suppressing protesters through their technology um, and that, of course, have a really strong vested interest in having as many governments roll out their technology as possible, because for them, it's it's very, very lucrative. Uh, once they get their surveillance infrastructure into towns and cities, it's there, it can continue to be expanded. And they're doing it in a way that is really against democratic principles and that is putting people's fundamental rights at risk. And coming back from Como to Brussels now, we've seen the European Commission adopt quite an ambivalent stance, one could say, with regards to the use of facial recognition in the past. Previously leaked versions of the draft AI white paper, of course, had floated the idea of introducing a moratorium on the technology, which of course, in the end, didn't surface in the final text. Now, the Commission is due to present legislation on AI in the first quarter of this year. Do you envisage that they will harden their position on facial recognition tech at all? I mean, it's it's hard to know uh, what they're going to do. Uh, we have, you know, we've spoken to them many times and we've submitted all of the legal research that we've done and the court cases and the data protection authority decisions and opinions that we've collected that that clearly demonstrate that this is a fundamental rights issue. Um, the fundament, the EU's own fundamental rights agency also recognises that it, this is an issue. So I, I think it's it's difficult to know where they're going to end up. But if we look at, for example, the Yuri uh, report that was voted on by the parliament this week, uh, we've seen parliamentarians calling for moratoriums on uh, this form of, on these biometric mass surveillance technologies. Um, and we've got some political groups that are calling for an all out ban. And I think even at this stage, having parliamentary support for a moratorium is positive because by definition, if you want there to be a moratorium on a technology, it's because you are at least 
in the grand scheme of things, considering that maybe there shouldn't be a place for the technology and you're taking some more time to assess it. And we're confident that the more time the Commission and the Parliament takes to assess these biometric surveillance tools in public spaces, the more they'll have to conclude that this is unlawful. Um, and so I think it's about pushing the needle from moratorium and and high-level concerns and, and general murmurings of, of knowing that this is an issue through to putting pressure on the Commission to take really concrete action. And one thing that we consistently hear from the Commission when speaking about a potential ban on facial recognition tech is that there are already safeguards within the bloc's general data protection regulation that protect against certain unethical uses of these types of applications. Do you believe that to be the case or does the GDPR perhaps contain too many loopholes for the use of facial recognition tech? I think it's the latter. So of course the GDPR and its law enforcement counterpart do establish the principle of the processing of biometric data as being prohibited. And that's great because that shows that this is very sensitive data and the fact that we have that in a Europe-wide law is really, really powerful. But whether it's for commercial and and private uses or whether it's by government and law enforcement, there are huge exemptions in both of those pieces of European data protection legislation. And what we're finding is that when it comes to private company uses, the basis of consent is being invoked. And we believe that that is a misinterpretation and not an actual justification for biometric mass surveillance because If a person has the choice of entering a public space or a supermarket or a a semi-public space and being surveilled or not entering at all, that is no choice. Um, So we don't think that the provisions in the GDPR are sufficient for that. And when it comes to the government and kind of law enforcement uses, we've seen really broad exemptions in in the law that have been exploited by governments in order to deploy these technologies that are in opposition to what's in the Charter of Fundamental Rights. And it's great that we're being able to challenge them. Um, It's like a game of whack-a-mole with these examples coming up and civil society and data protection authorities knocking them back down. Um, But the fact that we're seeing such widespread abuse really does demonstrate that the current uh, enforcement framework and data protection framework itself need to have clearer and more specific rules that build on the GDPR and the Law Enforcement Directive for uses like biometric mass surveillance. Indeed, it does sound like the current enforcement architecture is somewhat feeble in the face of these concerns. Just finally, Ella, to how much of an extent is this an issue on the minds of EU citizens today? And why is it something that we should all be paying a bit more attention to? I mean, increasingly, we're seeing people paying more attention to this issue. Um, A lot of the events in the US in the last year have really made people aware of how biometric technologies and surveillance technologies can be used to really cause severe harm, especially with people of colour, for example. We've seen incorrect arrests, really traumatic experiences of of people of colour in the US. We've seen facial recognition doing an awful job um, and potentially ruining some people's lives. So I think that's brought this topic more onto the agenda. But even when we talk about biometric mass surveillance, it's quite an abstract concept. And I think there's a lot of work to do to help people understand why this is an issue for all of us. And 
if we want to protect our families and our communities and make sure that we can live lives where we can all express ourselves freely and celebrate the full beauty and diversity of human existence by not having people forced to comply with a with a norm that's being enforced by technology um, under a police state ruled by uh, facial recognition algorithms, then it's really important that people do take note of this. Um, and that's why this year, a lot of our campaign focus is going to be on making this topic more accessible to people, um, information about it available in more languages and with graphics and we're going to use art and film and all sorts of different methods to help raise awareness because this is a an existential question about the sort of societies that we want to be a part of and the European Commission in their white paper said themselves that there should be broad public debate and really with our campaign I feel like we're we're creating that broad public debate and we're giving it back to the commission on a platter. Ella Jakubowska there speaking to me earlier this week. Well, indeed, it does sound like we have a lot more in store when it comes to the EU's general approach to regulating artificial intelligence technology. And don't forget to stay with us at Euractive for all the latest on this topic. And remember, of course, to pencil in March this year in your diaries for the Commission's follow-up to last year's white paper on artificial intelligence. And that's all we've got time for this week. Please remember that online with us, you can get a comprehensive breakdown of all the tech stories in the EU politics and policy domain with my free digital brief newsletter. Sign up online today and don't forget to also subscribe to this podcast, which is published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. I've been Samuel Stolton and thank you for listening. Thank you.